0: Welcome to the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. Others, jinx. Oh, you got me.
1: Double jinx. That's our kids' new favorite game. There's, there you go. There's no such thing as double jinx. I don't even know what you're. There's about. double jinx. When you say, when you talk, and you're jinxed, it's double jinx. And someone has to say your name twice. Don't you know the rules of jinx?
0: My rules were different.
1: Triple jinx.
0: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You guys, we are your hosts, Krista and Zach. We are excited today to be with you studying in Matthew 5 and Luke 6 um, of this Come Follow Me curriculum that we'll be starting now.
1: In fact, this is part one of a two-part episode. Uh, This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And scattered really kind of throughout Luke, and we'll get more into it in a bit. Um, so we're starting it this week. We'll continue it next week. The same kind of question drives both studies, and and uh, hopefully it drives your study as well. So we're excited to dive in.
0: Yeah, and we of course are going to start with our with today with a study tip. But I'm going to throw a wrench in it today.
1: You throw that wrench.
0: <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I think it's I think it's the right thing to say. Because we planned a little study tip, but in honor of Zach, and I'll give him a little round of applause here. Oh. What you don't know, well, maybe you do. I don't think we've talked about it. Zach has just finished up with writing his dissertation for his PhD. Now, it's not finished yet. He's still going to turn in a couple, the final draft is into his committee chair and all that stuff, and he's been working so hard, it kind of kind of had to crunch it was crunch time so this week but what his dissertation is all about is about questions
1: teacher questioning
0: and so what i thought would be cool today is to kind of surprise you maybe i hope i'm sure all he's been doing is dreaming dreaming about sleepwalking about um what else
1: it's not an exaggeration i have been dreaming (laughs) about like it's the most unexciting dreams you can have where you're dreaming about writing on a computer, when you <laughs> just spent twelve hours that day writing. Oh, the on a word you
0: explained to me in a text was that my dissertation is haunting me. Yes, <laughs> yes, So I'm sure you all know who have written many, many pages. You're at what, like two hundred pages now. Mm-hmm. So that that stuff really is haunting <laughs> when it gets to be that point. But what I thought would be cool is to just kind of maybe um, teach your questioning. This is a huge part of gospel study, whether you're questioning a classroom or whether you're cu- questioning. Your family or yourself as you got as you study the gospel, I just thought it would be fun to maybe hear off the cuff what you have been haunted by, <laughs> what you've been learning through your study, what could apply for our listeners in asking questions.
1: Okay, well, to boil down um, a lot into a little, <laughs> uh, the main the main thing that I was researching, the main thing I think that might be helpful to us as we're asking questions of ourselves and asking questions of students is, there is there's there's a hundred years plus of research into teacher questioning, but it's all focused on the same thing. It's all focused on on what are called the cognitive outcomes of questioning. It's about how questions can help people recall information and retain information and learn new information. It's this very brainy activity. And one thing that I was interested in was, in some situations, and a lot of situations, yeah, that is the purpose of questions, but not in everyone. In gospel teaching, and I was thinking of seminary, but this applies everywhere um, teaching is not primarily a cognitive uh, goal or a cognitive action. The primary goal isn't just that people know stuff, it's affective or emotional, and it's behavioral. Uh, and so, questions that target your emotions or target your actions look and feel very different from questions that target just your brain. And so um, as you think about the questions, again, that you ask yourself, think about questions that go beyond just the what does this say or what does this mean or to questions about how do you feel about this? What have your experiences been with this teaching? What do you plan to do about this teaching? Um, Which of these teachings do you feel would make the biggest difference in your life or in your friend's life or in your family's life? Those kinds of questions really get us past just what do we know about the scriptures and to what we feel and what we want to do about them. And so questions can be a great way to help students get there. If you take the time to, A, be compassionate about the topic or the study of the doctrines and principles yourself and then really know and love your students. And when you do that, you can't help but ask questions that are going to connect them in meaningful ways to what it is that you've studied and are passionate yeah, about. Yeah, and
0: I think applying that to your own to your own self, is some of the greatest studies are when you ask an inspired question of yourself and then dig into the scriptures when you're really searching for an answer. Yeah. So I think that can apply to both of those. I love that. Well, thank you. And I am going to give you... A very small golf clap for doing more things other than having to write, mostly for your own sanity. Yay. And maybe ours too, my, our families. So anyway, thank you for that, Zach.
1: Okay. Um, I want to start, if we can in Matthew chapter four, the last couple of verses, Matthew chapter four, before we get into chapter five. And um, I'm going to read from the new international version, the NIV, because I like the word that they use here better than the one that's in the King James. The word that the King James uses is multitude. And the word that the NIV uses is crowd. And I like the word crowd better. I, in fact, I just saw this today as we were studying this. Uh, I used to think that the book of that the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters five through seven, was just this collection of Jesus's teachings, and a lot of Bible scholars think that that might actually be what it is—that Matthew has conglomerated different things that Jesus taught at different times into one place. Um, Luke records this sermon, and he puts it in the middle of a plane. so people call it the Sermon on the Plain, and. There's a debate on whether it's the same sermon, whether it's a different sermon, but Luke takes these teachings from Matthew 5 through 7 and he scatters them kind of all throughout his book. Some of them on the Sermon on the Plain and some of them in other places. But Matthew puts them all in one place. Um, Matthew's going to record five sermons of the Savior to line up with the 5 books of Moses. If you remember, Matthew is trying to show that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. He is the new Moses. And so there are 5 books of Moses and there are 5 sermons of Matthew. The first book of Moses is Genesis. It's all about the beginning of 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 God's covenant people. It's Abraham or it's it's Adam and Noah and then most of it's Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I kind of think in Matthew's first sermon that he's recording, he's doing the same thing. So we're going to start. Matthew chapter 4. This? this is the yeah. first sermon is yes. what you mean, right? Yeah. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, here's one of those uncomfortable places in the scriptures where there really shouldn't be a chapter break. When Matthew writes this, he doesn't put chapter breaks in, he doesn't put verses in. So we've got this unfortunate chapter break that starts the Sermon on the Mount, but there shouldn't be one. You should read Matthew chapter five, right after you read Matthew chapter four, verse 25. So four, verse 25, large crowds King James says large multitudes, but here large crowds follow Jesus because of the miracles that he's done, because he's this healer and he's popular. and People love him. Then in verse one, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Here's the savior recognizing these large crowds that are following him because of these miracles that he's done. And he physically separates himself and then teaches a sermon about how to be a disciple. His disciples followed him. They they follow him up the mountain and he teaches them this Sermon on the Mount on how to be a disciple. How to stop being one of the crowd and how to be a disciple. How to be a, disciple, to be a true follower. And
0: isn't that cool that it starts that way? That he's... Like you said, he's separating himself, but not only that, he's, he's calling to them to come up mm, to a higher place mm-hmm. to learn. And that's pretty powerful is the beginning of how we can liken this to ourselves of what it means to create our own discipleship, yeah, to,
1: to leave the world behind and to step up the mountain with right, the Savior. to
0: become a disciple. And that's really what, what we want to talk about.
1: Yeah. So that's our study question. And this is one of those places where we just, we, we wish that this was a classroom and that we could ask the question and have everyone study because we're going to give a couple of answers to it. But really the power is going to come in your own study. But the question is, what are the teachings of Jesus in this chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 or Luke 6, and in the next episode, Matthew 6 through 7, what are the teachings from the Savior that you feel would most help you Elevate your discipleship. Help you set aside your affiliation with the crowd, and really become that true follower, that true disciple of the Savior.
0: Well, and I think we just continue on and keep studying through what comes next. What I don't know. Do you think he teaches these first, or who knows? Matthew the, records it first? Right. Yeah. So the Beatitudes.
1: Yeah. I I love these. Um, I can't remember when I figured out or when I when it was pointed out to me that the word, uh, the Greek word that's translated as blessed here multiple times in Matthew, from which the word beatitude comes from, that Greek word beatus, uh, means to be happy. And this might be the most simple thing to say, and maybe it's a dull point to you, but it wasn't to me when I first thought this. Being a true disciple of Christ means being happy. And that may seem so simple, but I think sometimes, we talk about this sometimes, that you listen to sacrament meeting talks or testimonies, and there are a lot of wonderful talks and testimonies about about trials and difficulties and how God is with us. But it's nice every once in a while to hear someone stand up and bear testimony that living the gospel just makes them happy and fills them with joy. It's true that the gospel saves us from from difficulties and things, and Matt's actually the whole point of the beatitudes: is that Christ can lift us out of our being poor in spirit, or being meek, or being spit upon, or being reviled. Uh, but at the core of all of it is that disciples of the Savior are, are happy, that they're blessed, and they're 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 filled with joy, if you will.
0: And I think that's the key. You just said it right there. We. <clears throat> You guys, I actually went back and tried to find our episode because I know we talked about this in our Book of Mormon episodes. So if you happen to be listening through our Book of Mormon episodes and find an episode about joy, could you tell us which episode it is? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that's the key is that sometimes we can confuse happiness with joy. Mm. And maybe that's just our our language for today, the happy and the joy, is that we we feel that happiness um means this perfection this perfect never never up and down of Mm -hmm. emotions or but the joy that we're talking about here this happiness really comes through discipleship and following the savior i love this quote and i'm pretty sure i shared it in that episode that someone's gonna hopefully find for me or i'll find it first hopefully before but this comes from sister bingham October 2017, she talks about, well, her talk is called That Your Joy Might Be Full. She says, Lasting joy is found in focusing on our Savior, Jesus Christ, and living the gospel as demonstrated and taught by Him. The more we learn about, have faith in, and emulate Jesus Christ, the more we come to understand that He is the source of all healing, peace, and eternal progress. Which, when it comes down to it, having healing, having peace, and having progress are really the, the perfect equation for what happiness and joy really is. Yeah, that's right. And great. the beginning and how we do it is we become a disciple. We learn about, we have faith in, and we emulate the Savior.
1: I love that the Savior points out here that that happiness comes a lot of times in unexpected places. It comes to those who are poor in spirit. It comes to those who mourn. It comes to those who are meek. Um, It comes to those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Uh, In short, God gives blessedness or happiness to those that aren't necessarily seeking the praise of the crowd or the praise of the world, but rather those that are seeking to emulate the Savior and His characteristics, for He is poor in spirit. He mourns with those that mourns. He's meek. He hungers and thirsts after after righteousness. He's merciful. He's pure in heart. This is a list of his character traits, and I love what Sister Bingham said that to the degree which we have faith in the Savior and emulate him, we too can be filled with this blessedness and with this with this joy.
0: Because when it comes down to it, these things—being poor, being humble, um, being pure in heart—are not how the world views happiness, mm-hmm. right, so these are really a different type of happiness joy in in the savior
1: lasting joy right yeah
0: the things that have always really stuck out to me from these chapters actually come next after the beatitudes, and it starts in verse verse thirteen and in in my scriptures right now, I'm looking at my um uh, Christian standard version. Yeah, the Christian standard version in it. It has a title for these verses for starting in verse 13 and 14. Believers are salt and light. So we all know these verses, most likely verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So here he is telling us, and I like the way they phrase this, believers are salt and light. So when I think about that, what does it really mean? You know, what does it really mean that we are salt? I've always kind of liked this salt analogy. If you haven't studied, you know, look up about salt because it's kind of fun. Salt. If you haven't studied salt. of sort I sort of sort of I of sort 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 of the of the most that of that you could use but I think the think time I was like was like of like, of like whoa this of so cool look at all these cool things that things that salt does and how it how it to us. to us have i loved. always loved, the the preservation the flavor and the purification i think those have kind of been those are kind of some of the things that i had written down on this and i love thinking just right now quickly of you know find out what you think but as a disciple how can i preserve what he's doing how can mm. i preserve what it means to be a follower preserve of jesus goodness christ in the world yeah and that's that's ultimately what it is right and that can just come in so many different forms teaching his word Um, I think it has a lot of power you were asking me as we were discussing this earlier we were kind of talking about like you know we talk about these words a lot but what do they really mean what does it mean to preserve
1: what does it look like
0: what does it look like for you maybe it means for me right now I'd say one of the biggest things is teaching my family teaching my kids and really preserving that faithfulness Mm -hmm. and in my own heart too I think preserving my own faith and keeping myself strong so that I, I can feel like I can give flavor and purify for other things. But moving on from that, the light analogy, obviously, it's awesome. <laughs> um, but as I was thinking about it, about it today, what does it mean to be a light? That's a gr- that's a that's a good question too. Um, I love the thought of, of that lights are so different. There's so many different types of lights. And that's, I think, the message that I took this time in this study was there's so many different types of lights, but they all do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Is that making sense a yeah, little bit? Yeah, So you've had of a candle, you have a flashlight, you have these super powerful lights out on baseball fields, <laughs> but they're all, um, do have a purpose? And I think that that's really how our discipleship can be is sometimes we're asked to do big things. Sometimes we're asked to do small things, but We're all, we all have our own light and we all have our own calls of discipleship. And maybe that looks different at different times.
1: I I like about these, that salt and light are really basic, especially when you make sure when you consider that the light the Savior is referring to um, in his day, these are handheld lamps, right? He mentions that in the next verse. Salt and light are two really simple things that don't do anything unless they are used by someone who knows how to use them. When the Savior teaches this principle to Mm -hmm. the Nephites, he'll amend the statement that you are the light of the world and mention in there, I am the light that you should hold up. We mentioned that in our Book of Mormon episode. Yes. Sometimes I hear people misquote this and they talk about, I need to be a light. Well, remember, you're the light, but you're in the hands of the Savior. He is the light and you're just the bearer of that light. You are the salt, but he's the one that's going to use the salt to purify and to savor things. And so I like this, that true disciples uh, perform these really important functions, but they become alive when they give themselves over to the master. And he points them in the direction that they need to purify or to preserve or to light or to to provide savor.
0: Yeah, and we see that in the end of verse 16, that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. So that's really... What, what is the light? We're always using his light and pointing toward, to him with our light.
1: Yeah, love it. Um, one of the other ones that I really like um, is the Savior, after these two, goes through a list of uh, commandments where he will follow a pattern. And again, going back to the idea of crowds and disciples, he will say something, and I'm paraphrasing, but he'll say something like this. You have heard of them that has been said of old. And then he'll list what's been said or what is common in the crowd. For example, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Or uh, love your neighbors, but hate your enemy. And then he will tell them if, in essence, if you want to be part of the crowd, then that's what the crowd says. But if you want to be a disciple, you have to do something more. So, for example... Um, you have heard that it was said of the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That's what the crowd says. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, which means fool, is answered to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire and hell. He's lifting their idea from... The world says, the crowd says, don't murder. But I'm saying to you that if you want to be a true disciple, you have to come up the mountain and live this this higher law, which is you can't even be angry. Now, if you want some gut check verses and you want to really put your discipleship to the test, you read these next couple of commandments and you ask yourself, am I living the telestial law? Which is, the telestial law in this case is you murder. That's the telestial law the terrestrial law is don't murder and that's the one that the world is pretty comfortable with don't do bad things jesus's celestial law this higher law is it's not enough just to not do bad things you've got to do good things uh, we may mention this in an upcoming episode when we talk more about the savior or about the sabbath in luke chapter 6 there's that brief account where his disciples get in trouble for for um, or where jesus is being questioned for his healing on the sabbath and, uh, of course that's a common critique of him is that he goes about and he violates the laws of the, of the elders, these oral traditions on the Sabbath. He takes too many steps or he uses both hands when he works. And so they're constantly critiquing him for breaking the law. You are, you're violating the things that we shouldn't be doing. And Jesus's message over and over to them is, I am doing the things that I should be doing, um, a lot of times, I think, when we focus on our discipleship, we get hung up on the don'ts. You think of the word of wisdom. If I were to ask anyone to name the word of wisdom, they would almost invariably say, well, we don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't drink this. And we don't do drugs. Right? Those are the don'ts. That's the crowd. To be a disciple, to be a true disciple, means you're looking not at the things, not just at the things you shouldn't do, but of the things you should do. What is there in the word of wisdom, for example, that you should do? Uh, Sunday observance, keeping the Sabbath day holy. We can make a great list of things we shouldn't do. And I think President Nelson has helped us a lot with this. What are the things that we should be doing on the Sabbath to make it holy?
0: I think that's where you can really feel more of the joy of being a disciple hmm. is when you when you look at it in that way too. Is not... Well, it's just this list of things that I'm not supposed to be doing, but the things that I get to do and that I'm choosing to do, because it's going to draw me closer to God. It's going to help me to see more of this joy and this happiness that he wants to show me.
1: Um, And these are hard things. I mean, uh, loving your enemy, praying for those that despitefully use you. If someone smites you on the cheek, which is symbolic of an insult, um, If someone smites you on the right cheek, you turn to the other so you don't respond to insults. You don't rise to attacks. Um, If someone asks you for something, you give them more than what they ask. Um, These are hard things to do, but I think this is the the essence of Jesus' message. Come up the mountain a bit with me. Come be on the mount with me. Leave the crowd behind and come follow me. Live this higher, holier, more celestial life
0: an example of this that the come follow me manual specifically points out in this in the in these chapters Matthew Matthew 5 um, 27 starting in verse 27 about do not commit adultery but i tell tell you everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart now that's one of those pretty pretty harsh mm-hmm. harsh teachings that you're you're mentioning but they give the reference to um, you know the famous virtue scripture here in Doctrine and Covenants, one twenty one forty five. Let thy bowels also be full of charity towards all men and to the household of faith, and let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly. Then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as dews from heaven. Again, this is that. This is that thought work I think that we've talked about you know that that idea of like we really need to be aware of what we're thinking before Mm, we think it mm -hmm. and how much more joy we can have when we have this virtue the the virtue of virtue I guess you could say is let virtue garnish thy thoughts unceasingly the question that they ask in the manual what is our responsibility over our thoughts how can you gain more control over the thoughts that come into your heart, mind and heart? And I love what these verses teach. They, um, The verse after verse 45, 46, the Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter, an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth and thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion and without compulsory means it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. That is a joy of being a disciple is that we're given this gift Of the Holy Ghost to be our constant companion to help us with this higher law that brings us more joy. I love
1: it. It sounds very reminiscent of the Beatitudes at the beginning. For those that are these things, they will be given the kingdom of heaven. They'll be able to see God. Those blessings that come, the virtue of virtue of of being clean. I I think that's
0: isn't that something that brings more joy. I mean, being clean before God or even being clean in our own thoughts and mind, just knowing that we're that we are, I don't know, clean or (laughs) seeking to be or seeking to be clean. Not even that no one's perfect. We're going to have we're going to have a lot of things to work out through through this life and we're going to make a lot of mistakes. But the joy is knowing that God is there waiting with open arms and that the Holy Ghost will be there to guide us and help us be there and get there.
1: You know, we've talked about gut checks and difficult verses to read. Um, The king of all of those is the very last verse in Matthew chapter five, where the Savior says, be ye therefore perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. Um, Our Our uh, footnote there in the King James Version and our LDS Version of the Scriptures helps us out in understanding uh, that perfect does not mean quite what we think it means. The footnote there indicates that perfection uh, means to be complete, finished, or fully developed from the Greek. Um, the, The connotation there in the Greek is that you are being... Uh, almost given the seal of completeness. Um, As a carpenter, when he's done with his job, making whatever piece of furniture might lacquer it or seal it in some way, that's the indication there in that verse. And so what Jesus means, what his invitation is, is that we come unto him and become fully finished, that we are a work in progress. If I were to name the last thing, at least for me in this study that a true disciple is, a true disciple recognizes that he or she is not perfect, is not fully finished, but that given time and especially giving themselves to the master, that that's the eventual goal and that's the outcome. Um, And so as you study this week, hopefully this is the beginning of a great study for you and we're excited to dive in next week with part two, but as you study this week, you just consider what things there are in your life Uh, that need sanding or polishing or nailing or maybe you're tearing out an old board and putting in a new board but what is it that that God wants to do to you to help make you fully finished and complete to help you come up the mount um, separate yourself from the crowd and become that disciple thank you so much for studying with us Thank you um, for your input and your comments. We hope that this is a great study for you and for those that you love, and we will see you next episode.